and welcome to the podcast with Dana and Amy. We were calling it their real, but then it sounded like it was too much about our boobs. So now we're thinking about all kinds of other names. We don't necessarily know if we want you to know that we're in midlife. Maybe it's midlife denial. I don't know. Write in. Call in, radio podcasters. <laughs> uh, hi, Dana. Hi, Amy. Good morning. How's it going? Well... It's another overwhelmed week, Dolly. Oh, God. Yeah. Mm. Uh, too much going on. College applications. I feel like I'm like a broken record. Yeah. Like, Do you feel like you're applying for college? Uh, kind of. I feel like I'm paying for college. This is this is what I'm obsessed with at the moment, maybe even just to not feel as stressed about the whole thing. Okay. All right. Breathe. That's what I'm doing. Do you do mindfulness stuff? Yes, I do. But when I'm really stressed, I can't even do it. Mm, Isn't that ironic? And then when I meditate a lot, I've read things that say that meditating a lot lowers your kind of aggro drive to do things. And so then I lose my drive to meditate as much because I've meditated, quote, enough. Yes. Yes. And you can't lose your gusto. My edge. Your like edge. I read a study that said that they they have done mindfulness in uh, employment situations. Oh, meditating is so good. But then that they gave the meditators and the non-meditators a task uh-huh. afterwards. And the non-meditators did it much more aptly, much more quickly. Whereas the meditators were so chilled out that they were like, yeah, a task. <laughs> <laughs> The only thing is I think it's supposed to, or so they say, it's not supposed to relax you. It's supposed to help you focus. Right. So I do it because I think that it's going to help me focus, and I will do anything that will help me focus or lose weight. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've got some recommendations for you. Mm -hmm. The kids say cocaine is great. How are you? I'm I'm good. Oh, well, one thing that happened this week that was interesting is that my kids listened to our first podcast, our money episode. My oldest daughter listened to it. Yeah. And uh, I happened to be at Target because I was in New Jersey. And that's what you do when you're in the suburbs is you stop into Target. Yeah. And my youngest one came over to me and she said, Mom, uh, my sister's freaking out about money because she listened to your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, meanwhile, she had just said no to getting this $22 sweater that looked really cute on her. And I was like, oh, gosh, did she say no? Uh, because she was worried that that was going to bankrupt us. Right. And and so I, I had a, to have a talk with the girls and say, if you ever hear anything in my comedy or in the podcast that concerns you about our lives or us or anything, then please come to me. But it was also a really good open to have a, a little conversation about uh, our finances, realistically speaking. It was cool. Yeah, it's so funny, actually. We should have talked about this before, even. Like, I was talking to Ava about it, <clears throat> my daughter, and or she was listening to just a part of it. I wanted her, actually, to hear some of the funny things that you had said on, our, on that first podcast. And she freaked out also and got totally panicked and felt tremendously guilty that 
college is going to be sort of a challenge for us. And I felt so guilty then. And I, um, and we too ended up having a pretty useful conversation about money, about sort of status, where we are. She said, I thought that we were richer than we are. And I said, I thought so too. (laughs) But I think that just, I did realize how little I talked about money in a practical way with my parents growing up and that maybe it would be useful for her to see that there's nothing wrong with her seeing us challenged a little bit, not strapped as if we can't afford food and shelter, but just to be aware that, yeah, we have to pick and choose what it is that we want. And um, so it actually, it turned out to be a kind of good conversation, but she was pretty freaked out too. Mm. So I guess... I think it's also one of the um, occupational hazards, maybe, of going public with your private life. Yeah, uh, as if it were bad enough. Feel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all fiction, honey. No, I mean one one thing that it brought up for me, which was kind of interesting, is um, this idea of. I don't know how else to say it, but matching low. I mean, recently, very recently, like in the past six months, we've really had times where I've had to say to Daniel, like, no, I need that $100 this week or else we won't be able to pay X. Mm -hmm. But we're actually on a trajectory right now because he has a different job where we're about to be okay. We're about to close out some credit card debt that we've been carrying for a long time. Like we can really see the light at the end of the tunnel. And, you know, I think that and and there's a tendency, I think, between women to minimize good things in a way like. Like, oh, you have a bad thing? Don't worry, I have a bad thing, too. Mm -hmm. Like, I, you know, Mm -hmm. I went to dinner with these three women the other night, and they were all fresh off of gnarly breakups. And, you know, there I was with my nice husband that I really (laughs) like. But sometimes he's annoying. Um, And he's cute. Um, Like, they looked at his picture and... They, they said, oh, I thought he'd look more like Woody Allen. Aww, <laughs> uh, but he's good looking. Yeah, he is adorable. nice looking. Yeah, yeah, he is. But he has those glasses. Not but. He has those glasses that are a little Woody Allen-esque. Yeah, but, you know, he's he can ador- see fine. No, I'm kidding. He can't. <laughs> <laughs> My can't. grandmother used to talk about how they would one-up each other with, like, oh, you need knee replacement? Well, I need a liver transplant. Exactly. Like, it was always, like some kind of a contest about whose life was worse or whose medical condition warranted more attention. Right. Well, it, it makes sense about what, you know, it, dovetailing with what we were talking about last week about how having people envy mm-hmm. you can be really dangerous. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of downplay a lot of, I mean, I tend to downplay things that are going well with me mm-hmm. so that so that people don't feel You're bragging. envious yeah. or like I'm bragging. Yeah. I think that's more of a, like, woman thing. Like, you never hear a woman saying, like, oh, yeah, we had a big vagina contest. It's not like a a big dick thing, you know? Like, we had a small vagina contest. I don't know. But there's no female equivalent for, you know, mine is bigger. Is there? uh, Maybe, uh, maybe diamonds. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. I, de- I think it depends on your circle, but there's definitely like this humility that goes along with, oh, yes, I know I have a beautiful home, but I'm really down to earth. Right. You know what? I'm getting, I'm getting envious having this conversation. <laughs> I have a really ugly home, but I'm really down to earth. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I don't know what I have. Okay. Anyway, so <laughs> it's time for our topic, which this week is fear. Fear. Do you have any fears, Dana? I'm so glad that you asked, and I was thinking about... <laughs> thank you for asking me. I was thinking about it, and I think that I don't have any fears that are like normal fears, like spiders, or I don't really have a fear of heights. I don't love them, but but I do have like existential fears, I think. Like I'm, I must fear, I think, being out of control which I think everybody must worry about. And I think I was thinking on the subway ride here, which I know I have struggled with, which is totally freaky, but I think I'm afraid of happiness. That like when I get really happy, I get really anxious. You know, that seems, I mean, I I think some of that is cultural. Like I remember when I was growing up, my grandma, if she would give you a compliment uh, about your looks or your, you know, how you were growing, she would always say poo poo poo. Yeah, you know, kind to, of her poo poo. Yeah, or like mashallah, poo poo poo, because she was Sephardic. I didn't realize that mashallah was like an Allah thing. Like it's oh, from, I, it took me oh. forever. But she didn't say it kind of her. She said Kinahora. Uh, I think my uh, other grandma said Kinahora, but they always are like poo 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 yes. to, to ward off the evil eye. Who is gonna? The evil eye is gonna see your happiness and and smite you. <laughs> Game over. He thought that was fun. I'll show you what life's about. <laughs> um. So that, that yeah, makes maybe sense. that. And Scott, my husband, he calls them happy attacks, like times that we've been away, or I just feel so elated, or we're, we were in Greece one time, and just it was absolutely beautiful. We were like eating delicious food. I just felt really great with him. And I got so anxious that like we had to leave the restaurant and go back to the hotel, which I'm a lot of fun to be with. And he, and he, ever since then, he calls them happy attacks and I just ward them off. And I'm doing a very good job actually. Wow. Yeah, it's kind of pathetic though. And I think, yeah, it's not something I'm proud of, but now I'll publicize it. I feel so banal with my fear of heights and German shepherds. Yeah, where did that come from? (laughs) Well, my fear of German (laughs) shepherds came from when I got locked in a cage uh, by the boys down the street. Like they had a kind of walk-in chain link fence cage for their dogs, these people down the block. And there were older boys and then there were their younger sisters. And, you know, I only have a younger sister. I don't have older brothers. But they locked us in the cage with this German shepherd named Rascal and then this little white poodle named Happy, who actually was meaner than Rascal. Uh But it was just kind of like it's one of those... Uh, embedded in the hippocampus moments uh where you're just like, Mm -hmm. you know, the dogs barking across the fence and the Mm -hmm. boys laughing, Mm -hmm. you know, with their Mm -hmm. teeth showing. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, ugh. It was gross. 
And, and so you still have the fear. I just kind of am like, you know, like in my building, there's a lot of dogs and the people that used to live down the hall had German shepherds. And I really, I just don't like being in the elevator with the two German yeah. shepherds. Yeah, it was a trauma. Yeah. The n- little dogs, like when you've come to my house and we have that cute little Your dog. Your dog's cute. Yeah. My parents had a cute dog, a, a Havanese. Do you know oh, that Oh, yes, yes. They, she... Rest her soul, uh, little Stella. But uh, she, uh, I, I used, I adored her. I, ador- I adored her. But she once bit me, right. and when I was fighting her for my daughter's binky, she took my daughter's uh, binky, uh, and so then she bit me, and I was behind on my tetanus shot. So, <laughs> and I was, you know, visiting from out of town. So my dad said great, now you have to go to the ER and get a tetanus <laughs> shot. And then even the people in the ER made fun of me. They were uh, like, you got, like, this is like, this is like a needle. Like, we've never seen such a non-event in this ER in our lives. So, I don't, so, but heights uh, okay. is really bad. Heights it is, is bad. It is really bad. Yeah. And it's, it's gotten better over time, mm-hmm. but it's, you know, I, I even made a short film about it called Daisy Feldman's New York about an ambitious girl who lives in New York City, which is totally vertical and how that uh, impedes her progress and moves forward in life in New York. And does it affect you in New York? It does sometimes, not very often lately. Good. I mean, I here we you... are in your beautiful 25th floor office. Yeah, and, how, and when you look out, is that why you closed the shades? No, it's because <laughs> the sun was beating down on me and roasting me alive. No, it's a beautiful view. And doesn't freak you out even when you stand by the window? No. Huh. I mean, if but there's, you know, I, I have my true. levels. Like, I, you know, yeah. if we were on, like, when I see, when I go into a building and I see, oh, you know, your appointment's on the 44th floor. It takes me a few minutes uh, to get re- comfortable and forget about it. Uh-huh. And, you know, my grandma, when she was alive and came to New York once, she took me to dinner at Windows on the World in yeah. the Old World Trade Aww. Center. Miserable. You know, I liked being with my grandma. Yeah. But the whole thing, I was just like... <gasps> Not looking out the window. Not, but you don't have a choice there. <laughs> like you have to close your eyes if you're not going to look I out the window. I just thought you just stared into your grandmother's eyes. Yeah, um, <laughs> or her ample bosom. She was, but she was like just so soft and lovable. Zoftic? And like, yeah, like a little Zoftig plus. Uh, yeah. I don't know. We digress. Rubenesque. Well, I'll okay. edit this out. All but right. anyway, so yeah, Heights, German Shepherds, mm-hmm. flying. Like one of the greatest accomplishments in my life was getting platinum frequent flyer because I was so scared of flying for so long that, you know, my work for a long time, I was traveling all over the world and I had to fly all the time and I loved the job and I loved the places I went, Uh but I hated the flying. And so, but that felt like an accomplishment for me. That is a huge one. But that was the, the fear of flying was more about the heights and less about like the claustrophobia or the being closed in. It was the whole thing. Um, There's nothing good about it. It's not natural. Yeah, flying is not natural. But that's one I'm, I know that many, many people don't like it and have fears about it. But I don't really get that. As much as I like to be in I get it. But as much as I like to be in control, I'm happy to relinquish control. Like, I think that I have, like, a very dependent kind of personality. Mm. So it's like I just trust that somebody else knows better than I do. And so 
they'll take care of it. Well, you know why the plane is staying aloft? Because I'm controlling it by white knuckling my armrests. <laughs> yes. And so Thank you that's so what's holding much. the plane <laughs> yes. up that I'm yes. on. Yes. That's how it works. Actually, that's it. You'll be glad to know. This is another, not anything to brag about, but what that same trip to Greece that I was freaking out about and having happy attacks and then ruined the rest of the trip being anxious for fear that a happy attack would happen again, that we were in a very small plane going to a small island, one of those small islands, and (laughs) I was really anxious looking out the window and watching a cloud. And I said to my husband, you know, we're idling. And I said, like, the, the plane is not moving. And he's like, it's impossible to idle in a plane. Right and I said, and he's like, how do you know? And I said, because I've been watching the same cloud and we haven't moved past it. And I think he was like, get me <laughs> off this plane and out of this marriage and whatever. But that's pretty. So you guys, like, probably the cloud and the plane were traveling together. And that's why it looks like. I, I don't know. know. I think my mind was moving so fast and I was so anxious. That, yeah, it's not good yeah i mean do you think that's about something other than the poo 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 the fear of happy attacks like what is that i think it is a fear of like it's a loss of control kind of thing like i think that any feeling is so like i think that maybe i fear all intense feelings which is kind of weird because i'm a therapist but i can tolerate other people's intense feelings but my own i i think that i always figure out ways to ward them off and so even happy is one because it makes me feel like the only way from there is down so maybe it's the fear of it ending but i'm not really sure but i think that it's kind of screwed up have you tried therapy yeah (laughs) As a matter of fact, I, I have spoken about it a lot, as a matter of fact. And I and one of my goals has been to tolerate happiness. And I love other people being happy. Like, I love when my kids are happy. Mm, I don't like the way you're looking at me. That's the best. No, You think really? this is totally weird. No, of course uh, not. No. It is weird. I think that other people, I know other people have it because I'm a therapist and I hear other people talk about it. They don't phrase it the same way, but I see that people ward it off because it's like, it's going to eventually end and it feels out of control. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if I have a fear of happiness per se, but I do sometimes believe that I have a fear of success because if I become successful in the things that I care about, which are things like writing or comedy or or other things that put me out there, then uh, I will lose control of that thing. Yes. And, and so, and that's scary. Like, I'll give you a recent example. Very recent. So yesterday, I was scrolling through Facebook and... An ad popped up on my feed. <laughs> Did you see that? And it was for uh, pain during intercourse for uh, vaginal dryness for menopausal women. I want to let you all know that A, I don't have that issue. And B, if you, listener, have that issue, I'm not judging you. I support you. <laughs> 
Um, and so this woman I went to high school with, hi Gretchen, um, she commented on the post and she said, oh yeah, my OBGYN said XYZ about it. And she said, it's our age. And I kind of felt like, hey, I'm trying to be cool with all these comics. I'm not your age. Like you might be three months older than me. Don't love me together. And then she wrote, oh, and I heard coconut oil works. And then I had written something about, you know, I swear I wasn't Googling vaginal dryness. And and then somebody wrote, what are you researching? And I said, oh, they probably gave me this because it's comedy. And my meaning there was like, what's funnier than an ad for a, pro- a product called Intrarosa <laughs> for vaginal dryness because of menopause. And... And she was, and so she wrote back like, oh, do you do jokes about vaginal dryness? And I was like, no, I, you know, I I didn't want to get into it more, but I had lost control of the narrative that I was trying to put out there. And all of a sudden, I'm an old comic Mm -hmm. making jokes about my dry vi. And... (laughs) And like, that's not, and so, you know, that's a minute example of putting yourself out there and then losing control of the narrative. And there's a part of me that just wants to never put up anything about vaginal dryness again. Yes. Yes. And actually, I was totally fixated (laughs) on the beauty of the pillow in that ad. Did you notice that? That was really nice. nice. Yeah. So I got fixated on that. And then went off on, I need new pillows. I like the blue and the pop of pink. I love a pop of pink. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love a good pop of pink. But just a pop of color. Yeah. Yeah. It, they say that a bright color when you have vaginal dryness. <laughs> <laughs> but it is kind of funny, too, that we're going out on a limb even doing this thing. Yeah. Because we're talking about things that are a little bit more intimate yet we're we're putting it we're saying it into a microphone for other people to hear and people that we don't necessarily know and you know i have fears of judgment being judged but i also have fears now my latest fear is sort of stifling myself i'm sick of inhibiting myself and i don't know if that's a fear as much as a goal yeah i have a lot of goals hashtag goals goals. (laughs) (laughs) self-improvement I'm going to figure this out by the time I'm 80 or, um, yeah, it's, it's, I think I've read things that say that that's associated with, maybe we should call this podcast the age of vaginal dryness. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'll stop saying it because I I do think it's a cheap laugh to say vagina, vagina, but, um, this is genuinely contextual. I'm not looking for excuses it came to me in my feed and actually my father has all of these medical conditions and his big joke is that when he goes to the doctor and they ask him his medical history they always he says i i have i have every medical condition for which there is a commercial except vaginal dryness which actually you don't want to hear your father say that word yeah i, I don't like dryness <laughs> Okay, what were you saying? Oh, just that there is something about our age with that DGAF attitude, don't give a F, Mm -hmm. that people Mm -hmm. say that that is part of turning 50, Mm -hmm. that 
that you get to the point where you're like, I don't care anymore. Like, what can you do? Like, you're not going to sleep with me anyway, world. (laughs) You know, you're not going to give me something that I've been wanting. Like, I just have to, I I don't care anymore. Or I have to get it myself. Yeah. Yeah, or I have to get it myself. Like, yeah. Yeah, and that has been, I have felt that most strongly in the past couple of years. Like, I'm sort of surprised that it happened so abruptly, but turning 50 definitely catalyzed something in me that I had been repressing, where I'm just like, all right, enough inhibiting myself or enough kind of pushing myself down. I got to, if I want this, I have to figure out a way to go and get it. And so therefore, I'm doing a podcast with you. Yay, us. Well, I, I do think that there's something about that age. Like I I had this idea for my last birthday, which I ended up not doing, but it was a one-woman show called the Amy Veltman Halftime Show. Oh, how cute. Isn't that fun? You're so clever. I can still do it because I could live to be 102. The, I, the thought is, though, is, you know, you're – you're not on the, oh, I have more than I don't have of time. Mm-hmm. You're on the, I have less than, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So the the stakes go up a little bit and you think, oh, am I really going to leave without doing my full shtick? Yes. I mean, death. Death is the word that I'm not <laughs> using and it gets real, okay? That is a harder word to use than V period, D period. So... It's much, it's even scarier if you can imagine such a thing. So, um, yeah, I had a funny experience with this actually, where uh, this year for my college, they every year they have a moth event. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Uh, yeah. which is the storytelling. You're probably very good at that. I had a nice day. Uh, So, it was a storytelling thing, and I had hosted a panel that you were on remember the yes, panel yes. that you were on oh for I my remember. college yes and so they had this moth event and they asked me to host it and I mm. said oh sure I'd, I'd love to thanks for asking I'm totally flattered and then I found out who the moth storytellers were and it was Erica Jong who wrote that book oh, Fear of yes, Flying yes yes she is a Barnard grad. And Jamie Bernard, the film critic, she used to be a film critic, I think, for the Daily News. I'll write it in the notes if I'm wrong. But, you know, she's somebody I've always had awareness of since living in New York. And and another woman who was wonderful, but I hadn't heard of her before. But still, the Erica Jong factor oh. was very daunting for me. And I had to come up with my own story about my time at college. And... It was relatively short notice, and it was just, it was a lot. And so I was talking to my dad on the phone, and I said, Dad, I'm I'm nervous about this thing coming up. You know, it feels like a big deal. Uh, Barnard women can be a tough crowd. They're, yeah. they're not going to just uh, clap politely uh-huh. if you stink. Uh, and he said, Aim, you're 50. <laughs> You're 50, Aim. Oh, Larry. Yeah. (laughs) And it was just kind of like that old-fashioned movie moment where they slap somebody across the face when they're hysterical. And he just was saying, you know, if you're not going to figure out this whole nervousness thing and going in front of people now, when? You don't have that much left. Yeah. Yeah. Get over yourself. And the whole week. In getting ready before that, I was I just said to myself, "Aim, 
you're 50. <laughs> so I'm going to say that to you anytime that I see that you're nervous. I'm going to be like, aim, you're 50. You can say it to yourself too. You can say, aim, you're 50. <laughs> Anybody listening can. It's so helpful. <laughs> yeah. Aim. You're 50. <laughs> I'm we feel better a- already. <laughs> oh, what? I'm just calling you Amy. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> but this this fear of success thing, is, I don't know if it's just the fear of envy or the fear of losing control of the narrative or... Or fear of surpassing. Sometimes I have had the thought, like, what if I really make it big and then and make tons of money? There goes my money again. And, like... And, and Scott won't love me anymore, which I guess is, which he's so not that kind of guy. He would be so proud and he, no one cried more than he did when I got my doctorate. Oh. He was so proud. He could barely take pictures because oh. he was so misty eyed. Yeah, he is, he is very, very proud. Thank God. But, um, cause I think he also knows how hard everything is for me. Well, because I've, I've dated people like that, too, where your success is a little threatening, yeah. you know, and they mm. they kind of chop you down a mm. little bit mm. or, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think we're lucky. I feel the same way about Daniel, and it's nice to hear that Scott's that variety yes. of sweetness. He even jokes sometimes. He's like, I'd gladly carry your bags. Mm-hmm. Which maybe he means, <laughs> maybe he means something else. I don't know. They're real. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, I think that he wants for me to succeed, and I think I want to succeed. I don't really know how I define success. I think it's changed over my life, and maybe with 50, I think that I actually have a different definition of success that is different than what I used to think it was. So what is it now? Well, I'm also writing this book, so I think it has a lot, and so I think it has a lot to do with my book, but I think that I used to think success was... Making a lot of money, of course, having a lot of um, like prestigious titles attached to me, having some kind of notoriety, which are all things that I want. But I think that actually, if I feel like I, this is so cheesy, but if I find some kind of meaning or purpose in my life and I feel like I have given to the people that I love in a way that I want them to be loved, then I feel like maybe that success like it's sort of that um eulogy characteristics like like what you want on your tombstone yes yes like you don't want somebody to say she was an asshole but she had a lot of money yeah that's not so good no i I wouldn't want that yeah and plus i think it's hard to spell in hebrew (laughs) (laughs) but i think you know that book road to character by david brooks I don't. Oh, I think I did hear of it. Oh, yes. I was. Yes. I was so hoping that oh, I had read a book that you sorry. didn't. Know. Well, I didn't read it. Oh, I read parts of it. Oh well, Amy. So anyway, <laughs> so um, but he talks about eulogy characteristics or eulogy values and authentic values or something like that, and that the things that uh, not no 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 I. I can't access it right now, but basically he is saying that what are what are the things that you want people to say about you, about your life when you're gone, that after you do the D word. Right. Not well, dryness. <laughs> the other D word. The big one. Yeah. <laughs> and so, 
And when you think about it, it isn't necessarily like the accomplishments, although that's part of it. It's a lot more about kind of how you made people feel or what people thought about, not, well, I guess what people thought about you. I don't know. Like how people experience you. Yeah, I think so. And, and how you made them feel. And so I'm really, really trying to go with that. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's tough. I think for me, some of it too, is that uh, I'm afraid of hurting people I Mm. love with my success, Mm. because there's a couple factors. Like I wrote this novel that I've finished two and three quarters drafts of, and I think it's pretty good. Uh, I think it I think I could finish it. I have all these reasons that I didn't finish it. Like I started doing stand-up when I was three-quarters through that next draft. And then the thinking for stand-up is so different from the thinking of a novel. Like stand-up, you're trying to crunch everything together. And a novel, you're trying to expand everything out. And so it was almost like, you know, you can't study Italian and Japanese at the same time kind of thing. But you know, still, it's been almost two years, so come on, what's your real reason, Amy? And and I think, you know, there's parts of the novel that are probably roman okay. I've never said that before, <laughs> but I think that means kind of autobiographical-ish. Uh, and so I'm scared that people might believe that they're portrayed in the novel mm. and will be sad or mad at me. Mm-hmm. Um about that and the same with my comedy you know I joke about my parents I joke about but my mom likes it when I when I joke about her but there is this fear of I don't know hurting people I love or you know if I get more successful than I am then there will be more demands on my time yeah and I was I was just telling you before we started taping like last night I took one daughter to a thing for college and the other daughter had a hard time getting her work done when I wasn't there and I felt guilty for leaving the one even though I was with the other doing something productive and you know kids and family are kind of a bottomless pit of need and it's scary the idea of launching myself to a place where I'm like, see, I deal with your need yourself. I'm uh-huh. not here for you. And having other people needing me. Right now, nobody needs me except them. I, I Well, I, I need you. God, I was hoping you'd say that. Oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> On cue. <laughs> but, yeah, I think, and that happens so much of the time with motherhood, too. I think that that is the constant battle of trying to figure out what your needs, what your own needs are, how to balance your own needs and the needs of your kids and your family and wanting to be there. I definitely want to be there for them. But a lot of times I think about it when I go for a run on the weekends and I think, oh, it's time that we could really be just hanging out together. And on the other hand, I feel like if I don't go for the run, I'm going to be the biggest grouch all day. And so the whole family will benefit from my going for a run. It's like I have to justify any way that I take care of myself if I'm if I'm not with them, which I think I used to feel even more so. But anyway, but yes, I do fear hurting them or being so kind of self-centered in a way that that my success or my ambition will require so much self-absorption that then it will deprive 
the people who deprive my kids of something that they need or other family members. I want to be there for my parents too, mm. you know, and mm-hmm. I feel sometimes like I hope I'm kind of doing right by them. Um, I'm so depressing. <laughs> I don't think, I mean, heavy. It's, it's real though. I don't know. I mean, Add this levity, is, Amy. <laughs> okay. Um, insert levity. Well, I mean, I, I feel like I'm a bottomless pit of need myself. You know, I need constant, uh, I don't know. I. It's funny. I have this friend. She had her first kid a couple years before I did. And I always refer to her in my head as the cheerful pessimist. Mm. Because she said to me, when you have kids, the funny thing is, you still have all your ambition. You just can't do anything about it. (laughs) (laughs) And so, I don't know. It's it's really a quandary. It is. And I think our generation also struggles with it a lot. I think that we don't, and I don't know how the next generation will deal with it either, but... I think that we didn't have that many, or I didn't feel like I had that many role models of women who were ambitious and pursued their careers and also were attentive parents. And so, you know, I think that my my mom was a teacher and when she had my brother, she stopped working and devoted her life to raising us. And I think that there was a part of her that resented that because she probably wanted more intellectual stimulation, but I think that she felt like in order to be attentive to all the needs of three children that she couldn't work and thank God my father was able to support the family. So um, although my mother-in-law worked full time when my husband was younger, maybe I should ask her how she did it. Yeah. I think our generation struggles with it, but I would imagine women of all generations will struggle with it. Probably. I mean, it's interesting, though, because I, I, my mom was very into, she didn't work when we were growing up, and she was very into making a beautiful home and a good home and kind of this idea that, you know, everything's neat and well-maintained and that the food was cooked and she's a great cook and all this stuff. And I... I kind of thought that a lot of that was optional, that she was just fixated on it, mm-hmm. but, and that, you know, oh, you can just add a career and, you know, that stuff happens in the background, but it's like, no, kids still need clean underwear. How's that going to work if you have a full-time job and then you need to hire people? And it's funny because she grew up, her mom never worked when she was alive, but she, they had a woman named Aunt Helen, mm-hmm. who wasn't really an aunt, but she, I don't know if she lived with them or not, but she did mm-hmm. all the housework for my grandma. Like, she really? did the ironing and the clothes maintenance, and, you know, she didn't do all the cooking, but she took care of really? a lot she of the stuff. She was a housekeeper. And my, yeah, and my grandma played cards, and she, you know, she took care of my mom, and it wasn't that they were, I don't think they were wealthy, but they were upper middle class, and I think huh. that, that she just had a person who helped them when, when the girls were younger. So- it sounds awesome. It sounds awesome. And my grandmother, as she got older, she had a woman named Helen too. Had a woman named yeah. Helen too, who helped her take care of a lot of household tasks. And she used to always say 
to us, oh, God bless Helen. And so we just called her God bless Helen. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want a God bless Helen. Oh, I want a God bless Helen. I had one for a while, like when the kids were little and I was traveling all the time. We had no pair that lived with us. Was her name Helen? No. <laughs> no. Helena? It was, no, it was G.A. Elon? It was G.A. God bless G.A. from South Korea. Mm. Uh, she was just so wonderful with the girls and so fun. She was like the cool big sister, but oh. she also helped with the chores. She was she was very funny because she would sometimes cook for them, and she thought that with baking you could kind of freestyle the recipes, uh-huh. and so she would make these kind of leaden... <laughs> pans and brownies like try to make half the box or it's like no GA you have to follow you know that was that's honestly the worst thing I can say about her is uh-huh. that she was a bad baker do you like, still keep in touch with her a little bit yeah oh that's yeah so... she's she lived with us for the first year and a half that we were in the city and I was mm. traveling everywhere and uh, she she saved us and it was so great but mm. I find that as my kids get older the stuff that is going on with them is not outsourceable, really. I mean, it's no. it's not about who can make a box of mac and cheese. Right. It's about who can help them with their existential yes. fears yes. and questions and things like that. So I think that that's exactly it. Even last night, my son was having, he's in seventh grade, and there was a, a lot of social drama, and he was really upset about it, and... Both Scott and I were kind of tag teaming, trying to help him and support him. And I felt like I would absolutely not want anyone else to be doing that for him. Although maybe someone else would have done it better, even though I'm a trained professional. Maybe, but maybe, I mean, you want it, you know, you want it to align with your values. Like we, when, when my oldest was little, we had a babysitter uh, who we loved, and she was such a wonderful person. Um, she was El- from El Salvador, and my husband and I both speak Spanish, and we would mostly communicate with her in Spanish. And uh, my daughter learned a lot of Spanish what? in her first year and a half. But through talking to this woman, I realized that she held some kind of racist values um her daughter started dating a black guy and she would say all these things that I Uh, really was uncomfortable with uh, and I thought you know the days of having this woman as our full-time sitter are numbered even if we're not moving away which we ended up doing anyway because I'm not having my kid raised by you know or even part-time exposed to values that are so not in alignment with what I want or you know there was the other sitter that we had who um you know showed Lucy her tinder account I remember that I remember you you know was telling Lucy like oh I you know I always want to stay under 98 pounds so I'm never gonna have my own baby and you know just Uh stuff like like Uh that's not uh, 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 uh. you need values alignment and it's really hard to find you know even with this college thing like there's there's a certain orientation that you have about the importance of education or, you know, in other families, I'm sure there's an orientation that it's not important to go to college and that it's important to make money and just work, you know, or it's important to have a, a, a college major or a, select a college where you can earn a good living 
afterwards. Like every family has a different set of values around education and a different set of abilities. And these things come up every single day as your kids get older and they make choices about whether to be on their phone or to finish their homework or to, you know, play Fortnite for 42 hours straight or Fortnite. It's the bane of my existence. Really? Do your kids play it? No. I mean, Eliza has played it, but... It's like the 12-year-old boy obsession. That's what I hear. uh, It's it's really... Does he play in your living room on the TV with a headset kind of thing? No, he plays on on the laptop, and we have a whole bunch of um, collaboratively established rules and limits around it, but if he had his druthers, he would play it a lot more, and I think that then he feels even guilty because I think he thinks it's kind of gross, but he also loves it, and I think it's really addicting. But anyway... It kind of sounds like they designed it like McDonald's fries. You like got they figured it. out how yep. to pull every lever in your brain you that just goes bing, 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 bing. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. here we so are. Here we are. Okay. Uh, um, so fear. So we're both really scared. I don't know. What about any, any summing thoughts? Is fear ever helpful? Do you find um, that it's helpful? Well, I definitely, I think that it, like, they say that that the amygdala is there for a reason. It's like a way to warn your psyche that you're in some kind of physical or emotional danger. So I think that there's there's got to be some useful part of it, don't you think? Well, yeah, like it keeps you from getting hit by a bus. But in our modern world, is it a, a useful adaptation? I don't know. I think it's a completely overused at this point. Fear? Yeah. 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 All right, so so listeners, it. don't be afraid. <laughs> Go out there, pursue your dreams, but also be kind to other people and give endlessly of your time. Mm-hmm. We have solved nothing here. <laughs> so with that, it's time for our final summation mm-hmm. section called No, You Have To. <laughs> you have to. So what, Dana, is your no? You have to of the week. I found a goodie. I actually, for the first time, started to color my own hair at home. And there's this brand called Madison Reed. Oh, yeah. I heard about that. You know that one? Yeah, I heard about it. And so you choose the color very, very specifically. They give you a whole tutorial on how to do it. And there's no reason why I need to go once a month, waste all of that time in the salon, waste all of that money, when for 40 bucks, or I think about that, I was able to do it. I covered all my grays. It seems to, does my color? Yeah, it looks good. Yeah, yeah. thanks. And I am so happy. I feel like I've wasted so much time and money at the salon that I don't think you need that much skill to be able to cover grays. No, I mean, I I cover mine, and sometimes it looks like there's been a murder in my bathroom (laughs) because I use a reddish-brown shade. (laughs) So there's a little sink staining, but hey, it's a rental. (laughs) Maybe I'll come and help you do it. Oh, yeah, you're a pro. We could have a party. Yeah, that sounds fun. Yeah. Yeah, what do you do while it's on? Like, how long does it sit on? Well, I only did it once, and it was for 30 minutes, and I sat there the whole time watching it to see if it was changing color, 
and um, calculating how much money I was saving annually because this is my new obsession. And um, what else did I do? I think 60 minutes. That was sounds like enough. In the <laughs> yeah, busy, busy, 30 minutes. And it was great, but I'm going to do it. I see how I may have missed a few areas, <laughs> but I think that I can master this pretty well. And I feel like it's, a, it's one of those overpriced beauty annoyances that I think that I could take care of on my own. And then I could waste money on other things. You go, girl. <laughs> that sounded really fake and silly. <laughs> but it is, yeah, I'm I'm an adherent of that. What is cool. yours? My, What's yours? My, no, you have to, is actually something that has changed my life more than I would say almost anything mm. over the past several years. Coconut oil? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's for the future. Um <laughs> No, it is the Johnson & Johnson 7-Minute Workout app. It's a red and white logo, and I've custom-designed a 14-minute workout. Mm. Like, it's high-intensity interval training, mm-hmm. and so I work out at home or on the road in 14 minutes. I wow. work up a sweat. I work up, uh, you know, my heart rate. I It's all over toning. Daniel says I'm in better shape than (laughs) I've ever been since he's known me, that I'm so cut. Uh And the reason I'm thinking of it now is, you know, I had that hernia surgery Uh a few weeks ago, and Mm -hmm. I haven't been able to do it in over three weeks. I'm falling apart. I'm a nightmare. My Uh. skin looks terrible. (laughs) I've, you know, I've gone through the big withdrawal, but it's it's not good. I miss it so much. And so uh, it, it just so great you don't need to go to a gym you don't need to go to a class you don't need to make decisions it's decided Uh I'm gonna do this thing every day it's gonna work all the parts it's a short time I can never say oh I can't find 14 minutes Uh and it's done and you do do it you do it every day when I didn't have my condition yes Yes, I, I did it every day I mean some days I would do it six some weeks I would do it six days a week but then you know that's bad what to do with six days or to miss yeah. a day? To miss a day oh. is is not good. I mean, that's the point. If you're gonna work out for that short of a time, you have to show up on the regular. Okay. But all right, well, you look wonderful, Dawn. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I've really I've fallen apart over the last month, it, but you'll it's, get I'm it. coming back. Yeah, I'm coming oh, you'll back. get it back. Yeah. So I I recommend that for all of you who might have small kids at home and say, oh, I don't have time to get to the gym or go to a class or there's so many great reasons not to exercise. Mm -hmm. I know all of them, Mm -hmm. but uh, this this makes it impossible to say that. And exercise for mental health, I think, is Uh, critical. Keeps me from snapping at people, like you said about not being grouchy during the run and all that. Yes, definitely. But I'm gonna try that. All right, so in the interests of closing out our episode on fear, don't be scared to cover your grays at home. (laughs) Don't be scared to work out in your living room. And uh, don't be scared to let us know what you think of our as yet unnamed podcast. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.